Well, I want to start off by just asking a question, and then I want you to think of the very first name that comes to mind with this question. Who is the worst sinner that ever lived? Worst sinner that ever lived. If you're sitting with them, please do not look at them. That would be awkward, okay? And some of us might have thought of someone personal in our lives, uh, but for most of us, we probably thought of someone in history or even a specific person from present day. Maybe you thought of a name like, I don't know, just spitballing here, Tom Brady. Just throwing names out there. Just throwing them out there. Hey, if you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis. Uh, I am the lead pastor here. I know that no one thought of Tom Brady when it came to, to that question, but I do need to apologize uh, for something. I have, I have failed you as your pastor because it has been a full three months and I have not paused to celebrate the fact that New England lost the Super Bowl. Yes, yes. Like if, you are, if you're here looking for proof that there is a God and that he is good, look no further. Can I get a witness up in here today? Like that's amazing. So, so for everyone who's here today, even if you're a New England fan, uh, whether you're here in the auditorium or joining us on a video screen somewhere, thank you so much for choosing to be with us today. We're gonna have a lot of fun today and it's gonna look a little bit different uh, than maybe we would normally do. Before we kind of jump into the message today, uh, I do want to give you a heads up about a new series we're starting two weeks from today called The End of the World as We Know It. That in Christianity today, one of the biggest conversations we have revolves around the return of Christ and the end of the world. And people are asking questions like, are the things happening in the world today a sign that the end is near? Well, while the Bible does not give us all the details about exactly when Christ will return or the end of the world, while it doesn't give us everything we want to know, it does give us everything we need to know. And so we don't get all the details, but God gives us a, a great design to the end of the world and the return of Christ. And so in the series, uh, four weeks long, starting on June 3rd, uh, I'm going to be presenting four messages that we kind of going to walk through what the Bible says about the return of Christ and the end of the world. And so I would love for you to be here for that. Invite somebody to come with you. I think it's going to be fantastic two weeks from today. Okay. Today, today, as I said, it's going to be a special day. Uh, I've been looking forward to today for a while now, and like I said, it'll be a little bit different than what we would normally do, because we'd normally uh, still be singing right now, and then I would end with preaching. But today, we're going to preach first, and then we're going to respond to God in worship. Now, if you're here today, and you would, would say you don't believe in God, you have not put your faith in God through Christ, I am just so excited that you are here today, and don't get too freaked out about the phrase worshiping God. We are not going to require that anyone sing today. And I will even acknowledge, I will say, I understand that to someone who's unfamiliar with, with church or what we do, it might seem weird that a bunch of people sing to this God that we believe in. And that's one of the reasons why I love it so much that you are here, because today you are going to get a front row seat into why we choose to worship God the way we do. In fact, if you've ever even questioned, what has God done for me or what has God done for them that makes them love him so much, today you're going to get the answer to that question. Today I want to set up for you a song that our worship pastor, Pastor Jared, wrote. The song is called, All I Will Speak. I first heard this song several months ago now, and the first time I heard it, it blew me away. Jared asked me, he said, he said, have you ever wondered what the Apostle Paul must have been thinking on the night that Jesus saved him? Kind of took me back. I was like, I don't think I have. 
And he said, well, the Bible doesn't tell us what he thought, but I wrote a song based on what I think Paul must have been going through on the first night that Jesus saved him. So Pastor Jared then played the song. I felt like the Holy Spirit just filled up his office, and I sat there literally in tears. I know I overused the word dude, but I was like, dude, that song's amazing. And we've been praying about, uh, since then, about when God would lead us to kind of reveal or, or give you that song as a congregation, and, and we're going to share it today. So here we are today. I actually hope I'm not overselling this song. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm speaking it so much. I hope that Jared doesn't play it here in a little bit, and you're like, oh, that was cute, because cute's not what we're going for today. Um, I actually hope that I do this song justice in setting it up and kind of sharing the heartbeat behind the song. Really, Jared should be the one doing this, uh, but it's awfully hard to preach for 30 minutes and then lead worship, and so he's allowing me the the privilege of kind of sharing with you the heart behind this, this song. I, I think it's, it's one of the best that he's, he's written for our church. Now, you, you might be here and you're still stuck on this Paul character. You're, you're thinking, what's the big deal with Paul? Like, who's Paul? And if you're asking that, that is actually a great question. It's, it's, the, it's Paul's story that they, makes this song so powerful. So here's the big deal with Paul. If you had to list the top five most influential people in the Bible, Paul probably makes that list. I mean, number one is obviously Jesus. Moses would be in the top five. David's probably there. And then the remaining two spots, you can argue about different people. Maybe Peter or John from the Old Testament. Joshua, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah are names from uh, Peter and John from the New Testament. Joshua, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Elijah, other names. From the Old Testament, you might kind of argue about who's in there. You would definitely not include Noah. I know it's a great story. Built a boat, saved humanity. I get all that. But in his one chance to be the hero of the Old Testament and not put cats on board, he didn't do it. So Noah is off, off the table for the top five. It's kind of funny. Sometimes around dinner, I will practice my jokes on my family. And if they laugh, I might present it to you. And so I was practicing this Noah joke on my family uh, at dinner this last week. And our youngest daughter, Jada, when I said that Noah had his one chance to you know, not put cats on board, her jaw dropped. And she said, all he had to do was not let them get on. <laughs> I know, but I digress. Really, out of all the people in the Bible that you could say are the most influential outside of Jesus, you'd be hard-pressed to convince me that the Apostle Paul is not number two on that list of most influential people in the Bible. His birth name, his Jewish name, was Saul. It was a name of, of royalty. It was, it was a name that represented power and importance and, and position. Saul was the name of the first king of Israel, King Saul. It was a name that people would have recognized as one of importance. And Saul did have importance and power and position in his life, especially in that Jewish world that he lived in. Saul was born around 5 AD in a city called Tarsus. He would have been considered elite because he was accepted to be under the education, the mentorship of a Jewish religious leader named Gamaliel. So as Gamaliel's student, Paul was trained in all of the Jewish laws and customs and scriptures. He would become passionate, zealous about honoring God and upholding the Jewish ways in which he was raised. He actually climbed the ranks of the religious elite, making it all the way to the rank of Pharisee in the Jewish faith. And the Pharisees were literally the keepers of the Jewish 
faith and scriptures, the keepers of God's chosen people. So Saul put his faith in Christ around 34 AD. He began a ministry to Gentile people, non-Jewish people, all around the Roman world. And at that time, he started using his Roman name, Paul. Jewish name, Saul. Roman name, Paul. Saul meant power, position, importance. Paul meant small or little. It was the opposite of that royal name, that he was born with. As Paul, he started 14 churches that we know of in the Roman world. Those 14 churches started other churches, and those churches started other churches. In fact, the number of churches that could trace their roots all the way back to the Apostle Paul are probably too many to count. And in some ways, our church traces its roots back to Paul's efforts to reach the Roman world, eventually bringing the gospel across the sea. Paul wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament letters that we have in the Bible. Two-thirds of the book of Acts really follows the life and ministry of Jesus. And then, after preaching about Christ for the final 32 years of his life, he would die a martyr's death in prison around 66 AD. But before his death, while in prison, he would write some of the letters that are now in our Bible. One of those letters he wrote to a young pastor named Timothy. Timothy was a pastor that really was a protege of Paul's. You might call him a son of Paul in the faith because Timothy came to faith under the ministry of Saul, who we know of as Paul. And that, that letter is found in 1 Timothy in the New Testament portion of the Bible. It's part of our main scripture for today. So if you got your Bibles with you and you want to follow along, turn to 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17, and then we'll also be in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 15. So 1 Timothy 1, Acts 9, we're going to be jumping back and forth between these two passages. So if you want to follow along on the screens, you can do that. And if you don't own a Bible, we'll give you one for free. Uh, We'd love to give you a Bible today that you can read the word uh, on your own. So after recounting now the incredible, inspirational testimony, life, ministry, impact of Paul, we might be surprised as to what he wrote in 1 Timothy. Now, I'm gonna, here's my challenge to those of us who are believers in the room and already know what's coming, okay? I think sometimes in our Christian faith, we get so used to the stories of Scripture that they lose their power. They lose their freshness, their perspective. So I, I want us, my prayer today is that we would see the story of Paul maybe in a fresh way. So here's what Paul said, 1 Timothy 1. We're gonna jump to the middle of this passage. Verse 15 He writes this to Timothy. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen? Amen. And then he said this, and I am the, what? Worst. Worst. I'm the worst of them all. What? Like the, the worst, like Paul, you are the worst of all sinners. After everything we just talked about in Paul's life, all that he accomplished, how could he even say that? Well, as many of you already know where I'm going with this, Paul was not always an apostle. We call him that, but he was not always an apostle. He was not always a man of faith in Christ. He definitely was not always a messenger for Christ. In fact, quite the opposite. That before Paul became an evangelist for Jesus, it was his life mission to exterminate Christians for believing in Jesus. 
that before he was a messenger, he was a murderer. Paul actually thought Jesus was opposed to the way of God that he had been raised in as a, a Jewish man, as a Pharisee. And remember, it was the Pharisees that led to Christ's crucifixion. The Pharisees hated Jesus. That was Paul. So when Jesus, when they thought they killed him, they took their hatred of Jesus against those who believed in Jesus. So we're going to go a few verses earlier here, and we're going to start to see now Paul recounting to Timothy who he was before Christ, where he was without Christ. 1 Timothy 1, 12 and 13 says this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God. Are there any two more powerful words in scripture than those? But God. I was this, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Don't forget, Paul was there, still using his Hebrew name Saul when the very first Christian was killed for their faith in Christ. His name was Stephen. He was a follower of Jesus. And Stephen was stoned to death by an angry mob of people. And we are told in the book of Acts that Saul was there and he agreed completely with the stoning of Stephen. When Paul or when Saul saw how happy Stephen's killing made the people, it was his mission to continue that. In Acts chapter, three, uh, chapter 8, verse 3, it says this, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. That this future church planter was, first of all, a church destroyer. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. This continued in his life, Acts 9, 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. That phrase, with every breath, it literally means what you think. It was his life mission to wipe out Christianity from the face of the earth. Everything in him, that was what he was about. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains, most likely with a plan to execute them for their faith. So this is what Paul, what we just read, is what Paul is recounting in his letter to Timothy. Here he was after 32 years of serving Christ, writing two-thirds of the New Testament uh, from his prison cell, accomplishing more in his faith than we could possibly imagine. After all of that, Paul never forgot who he was before Christ. He never forgot where he was without Christ. That even in his final days on the earth, he was recounting the first days of his faith. I love this, this parallel here between 1 Timothy and, and Acts 9. In 1 Timothy, we see the last days of his life. In 1 9, we see the first days of his faith. And I love how Paul is hearkening back to the start of his faith that literally led him to this prison cell. Verse 14, 1 Timothy 1, Paul says this, Oh, 
how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. And the very next verse is what we started with where Paul says, and Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. That God was so generous to save me, the worst of sinners. So how did God save Paul? Like how, how, did, how did God fill Paul with faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus? Well, he did it in a very unusual way. I don't think God does this as often as he did maybe back then, but here's what happened in Acts chapter nine. So now going back to how this happened, verses three through five, as he, Saul, was approaching Damascus on this mission to arrest Christians, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I think sometimes we read scripture when, when God speaks and, and we think or assume that God speaks in an angry voice. Saul, why are you doing this? I don't know, but I just think maybe Jesus spoke with a voice of grace. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. I mean, can, you, can we even imagine what this was like? Here is this guy, Jesus, that you believed was a fake and a phony. This guy who, whose followers you arrested and chained and tortured and imprisoned and killed. This guy that your group, the Pharisees, thought you killed a few months earlier. You heard reports he rose from the dead, but you thought that it was all just, just made up by, by his followers. And now this Jesus is speaking to you on the road to Damascus. And when you ask, who are you? He didn't say, I am Jesus, the leader of the ones you are persecuting. He said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. That when you dragged off those parents from their terrified kids, when you chained up that woman in prison, when you killed that man, you weren't really doing it to them, Saul. You were doing it to me. Do you see why Paul was able to say, I'm the worst of them all? Paul never forgot who he was before Christ. He never forgot where he was without Christ. I am the worst of them all, he said. So going back now to 1 Timothy 1, 16 and 17, he says this, I'm the worst of them all, here it is, but God, but God had mercy on me so that Christ could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too, that's us, that we can believe in him and receive eternal life, all honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God, amen. Drop the mic, Paul said. In his final days on the earth, he was recounting the first days of his faith. While on his way to kill Christians, Jesus would choose him to become one. To be the one to go from murderer to messenger, 
about the wonderful, matchless grace of Jesus. So how did it all unfold? Well, Acts 9, going back again, have to believe Paul was thinking of this when he wrote Timothy. Acts 9, verse 6, Jesus said to Saul, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Verse 8, Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind, so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. In his pocket was a letter saying he had permission to arrest all followers of Jesus. On his way to Damascus, where he wanted to martyr people for their faith in Jesus, he would make Jesus the Lord of his life. Two verses we're skipping just for time's sake, but Jesus calls another believer, Ananias, to go find Saul in Damascus. Here's what it says, verse 11. The Lord said to Ananias, go over to Straight Street around the corner. Did you get it? Go over to Straight Street. You'll get it after lunch. <laughs> to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Look at this. He is praying to me right now. We're going to come back to that. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. So Ananias is saying, you want me to talk to that guy? But the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel and quite literally all the way to Cheyenne, Wyoming on May 20th, 2018. So that phrase, he is praying to me right now, is really where the song Jared wrote takes place in that window. After 32 years of serving Jesus, Paul never forgot who he was before Jesus, never forgot where he was without Jesus. That in that prison cell, during the last days of his life, was he perhaps remembering his prayer to God from the first days of his faith? I think he was. I don't know. The truth still remains. As he sat there, Blinded by the man that he had been persecuting, now he was praying to him. What happened? Did the faces of the people he killed flash through his mind? Did the cries of terrified children as he drugged their parents away ring in his ears? Did it ever hit him? that I arrested people thinking they were the criminal, but the criminal was actually me. Was he embarrassed? Ashamed? Did he perhaps feel like, here I am, a broken sinner? Why would God want me? Have you ever felt that way before? I have. I have. Why would God choose me? 
I think it's good sometimes, like today, for us to be reminded of who we were before Christ, where we'd be without Christ. The, the danger in not remembering who we were is we can start to look at other people as if we are now better. But for those of us who put our faith in Jesus, we are not better than anyone else. We have just believed. And because we believe, we belong to Christ. And when we belong to Christ, we start to become the person he sees we can be. That Paul never forgot who he was before Christ, but his faith was firmly rooted in who he was in Christ. So it's good to remember. It gives us a, a healthy sense of how desperately lost we are without him. But there is a danger in remembering as well. I think for a lot of Christian people, we end up staying stuck in our faith. We stay stuck at the point of forgiveness. We, we have enough faith to be forgiven. But then we stay there because we think, God can't do anything with me. You don't know what I've done. And we never advance in our faith because we are ashamed of our past. What if Paul would have stayed in the room ashamed of his past? If anybody could be ashamed, it's Paul. But no, he was now a murderer turned messenger. He knew there was work still to be done. And so for the, for the unbeliever in, in the room, Paul is the ultimate example of God's power to save the worst of sinners. And I know there's some people probably in our midst that you don't, you don't believe in God yet because you think God can't forgive you for what you've done. So here's what I want to remind you of today. Here's what I want you to hear today. Here's what I think Paul would say to you today. That if Jesus could save Paul, then Jesus can save all. That no matter who you are, and no matter what you've done, and no matter what you have believed, Jesus, God in the flesh, came as one of us. He modeled life for us. He died because of us. He rose victorious so that any one of us could put our faith in him, be forgiven of our sins, given a new life today, and eternal life forever in heaven with him. It was the message for Paul, and it is the message for all. Salvation through Jesus Christ. Some of you, this is your Damascus Road moment right now. Like Jesus is speaking to you and you are saying, who are you, Lord? And he's saying, I am Jesus, the one that you have rejected, but I'm choosing you today to believe in me. Choice is just yours. The work's been done. Choice is yours. So what was Paul feeling? I don't know. The first night of his faith. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes if you just do that, please. And as best you can, I want you to try putting yourself into Paul's shoes. Just try right now, as best you can, putting yourself into Paul's shoes that night, literally on the way to murder Christians. And Jesus saves you. It's really not that hard for us to do. I mean, we, most of us probably have not murdered Christians. 
mean, we are a rough bunch, but I don't think we're that rough. But we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. All of us need a healthy reminder of who we were before Christ, what we did to Christ, where we be without Christ, so that we are motivated to live for who we are in Christ. So just imagine being Paul on his way to arrest, possibly kill Christians for their faith in Jesus, and Jesus appears to you on the road. And in the process of killing his followers, he chooses you to be a messenger of faith. In the process of murdering people, he turns you into a messenger. Paul spent three days praying from what we know. What was that prayer? Was his mind and heart flooded with the weight, the memories of what he'd done, who he'd been, the reality of what Jesus had done for him? When he, when he got his sight back, did he perhaps feel completely and utterly alone, knowing that if I walk out of this house, I will look at the faces of people I've hurt? No one will believe me. No one will believe that I have changed, that I now believe as the band leads us in this song and as we move into a time of worship, I, I, my prayer is that we get a fresh perspective, a reminder of what Jesus did for us. Because when I think of what I've done against my Jesus, I'm so thankful, church, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners because we are the worst of them all but God. That we were dead, but God gave us life. That we were lost, but God has us found. We were dirty, but God cleaned us up. We rejected him, but God accepts us. We were sinners, but God makes us saints. We've done horrible things, but God makes us holy. So God, right now, in the name of Jesus, would you please fill up this place with your Holy Spirit? God, would you descend upon us to hear perhaps from you, why are you rejecting me? Or to hear perhaps from you, you're already saved. You're clean, you're forgiven, so go and be a messenger on my behalf. God, would you remind us today of the wonderful, matchless, powerful grace of our Jesus. Thank you, God for being so merciful to us, but God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to stand, if you want to kneel, if you want to sing, I would just encourage you to respond to this song, All I Will Speak, However God Leads You.